So, for the rest of you, would you open your Bibles to Matthew 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 33 to 37 this morning. Looking at the connection between the heart and the mouth. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus has just condemned the Pharisees for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They were attributing the irrefutable power of the Spirit to Satan. It's like they were looking at the sun's rays and calling it darkness. It was a horrible blasphemy. They had uttered arguably the worst words ever spoken. They had taken themselves to a place with blatant heartening that Jesus said, forgiveness is not offered. There's such a refusal of the truth. And now Jesus goes further to say that those aren't just evil words, but they reveal an evil heart. Because the mouth and the heart are connected. The mouth and the heart are connected. This is true for us too. And that is a horrifying truth. But it's also a helpful truth. It's horrifying and helpful. On the one hand, it's horrifying because our words really reveal the darkness that dwells within us. When curses or lies or complaining or tongue lashings, name callings, gossip, when all of that comes out of our mouth, it reveals what's in our hearts. And it teaches us, well, Jesus teaches us here that we're accountable for those words. That we'll account for them on Judgment Day. So it's horrifying. But on the other hand, it's helpful. It's helpful to know that the mouth and the heart are connected. It's helpful in parenting. It's helpful in your marriage. It's helpful in the workplace. You want to know what people really think? Do you want to know what they really want? Who they really are? Why they do what they do, get them talking, and it'll spill out. It always does. Your words reveal your heart. For some of us, you know, heart on the sleeve types, it comes a bit quicker. You know right away, I know what they want, I know what they're thinking, right? It just spills out of the mouth. For others, it takes some time, right? Some trust and relationship. But eventually, If you really get to know them and you hear them speak, you will know what's in their heart. Because this is an axiomatic truth. The heart comes out of the mouth. 
And there are so many implications for this principle, so many applications for us today. And so we can really learn something from what Jesus says here. Let's go through it. First, we're going to look at the root and the fruit connection. The root and the fruit connection. Jesus uses very illustrative language here. He's the master illustrator. And often, Jesus' illustrations are very simple. They come from nature. It's observable. So he has one here in verse 33. The root and the fruit connection. In verse 33, you'll see we have an either-or phrase. Either-or. Okay, That means it's one way or the other. Black or white. And Jesus uses this universal truth. It's self-evident. Here it is. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. It's self-evident. Very clear in nature. And then Jesus says, either, okay, make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. What Jesus means by the word make It's an expression, like make your decision, or or call it as it is kind of deal. See, if you see good fruit, then that means it's a good tree. If you see bad fruit, that means it's a bad tree. The root and the fruit connection in nature is obvious. And, And Jesus has used this tree illustration before, tree and fruit. If you remember back in Matthew 7, he used it, to help people distinguish between true prophets and false prophets. Their fruit will be observable. Matthew 7, 16, he says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. We get it, right? Very simple. Very simple truth. And here's the point of the illustration. As the quality of the fruit reveals the quality of the tree, so, listen, the quality of your behavior reveals the quality of your inward person. As Spurgeon says, the inner life corresponds with the outer life. It is self-evident, and it is true, and it is true even for the great pretenders, the Pharisees. See, they worked really hard on the outside, but it just took a little poking from Jesus, and all of the dirty laundry spills out. Even though they appeared clean, Jesus reveals they're dirty. They produce all kinds of bad fruit. Blatant hypocrisy, which Jesus exposes. Legalistic criticism, rather than, you know, they were forsaking the greater parts of the law. Justice, mercy, compassion. They were guilty of boasting. Jesus exposes that. Guilty of greed. And the list goes on. It just took someone like Jesus strong enough to expose them. But it was clear, there's bad fruit on this tree. And even the clearest evidence is here in their blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They have uttered the worst words that anyone could utter, revealing that they were evil on the inside. Bad fruit reveals a bad root, and like the stomach flu, the poison finds its way out, one way or the other. And so they're caught here. 
Now, the reverse is true, too. Listen, a good tree produces good fruit. And so take Jesus, for example. Jesus is healing people of sickness and disease. He's been forgiving sin. He's casting out demons. He's even reversed death. You can't find any fault in him. So you're looking at a tree full of good fruit, then they've got to make up their mind. Jesus must be inherently good because he's producing good fruit. You know, those who follow Jesus, those who have been born again Christians, they also bear good fruit. A good root produces good fruit. This was promised in the new covenant. We're the new covenant people of God, grafted into the new covenant. Look at what Ezekiel promised for those who have been a part of the new covenant. He says, I will, God promises, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And so believers bear good fruit because God does a work in them that causes outward change and manifestation and behavior. Notice now how good fruit is produced. It's not by taking off the bad fruit and stapling on good fruit. Good fruit is produced by a change where? In the heart. In the heart. And this is a work of God, inextricable to your salvation. He gives you a new heart. He puts a spirit inside of you and the internal transformation finds its way out. And so the question is valid. Look at the tree. What kind of fruit do you see? Look at the tree and what kind of fruit do you see? A person's life will manifest one of two kinds, either good fruit or bad fruit, and that will tell you who they are. Now, we know that the Christian life doesn't make us perfect. We're not perfect. We don't have these beautiful, plump apple trees all filled with beautiful, plump apples. We still, sometimes as believers, bear bad fruit in the flesh. But Jesus shows us, still an axiomatic truth, it's self-evident, there will be good fruit on that tree. There will be a pattern of good fruit. It will be evident and it will grow because that's what happens in the Christian life. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. The tree's known by its fruit. So in this case, bad fruit produced by the Pharisees reveals a bad root, and good fruit produced by Jesus reveals a good root. Jesus says, make up your mind. Who's the good tree? Who's the bad tree here? And so Jesus moves then from a general principle of root and fruit to the heart and mouth connection. That's point number two. The heart and mouth connection. Look at verse 34. These are strong words. But they're perfect words because Jesus is perfect. He says, you brood of vipers. Jesus spoke the strongest, most critical words towards Religious hypocrites. Not towards, not towards the prostitute. Not towards the tax collector. Not even towards the rich young ruler. But towards the Pharisees. Religious hypocrites. Beware of becoming a religious hypocrite. Very easy to do in the church. It says, you brood of vipers. Jesus tells them 
who they really are. He shoots straight. They're the offspring of snakes. Now, snakes are a symbol of deception, craftiness. Who first took the form of a serpent? Satan in the garden. And Jesus is also, by the way, called the Pharisees the sons of the devil. He says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. So son of snakes, sons of Satan, these are strong words. And then Jesus has this kind of exclamation question. How can you speak good when you are evil? It's impossible. Based on the previous principle, you can't. Any more than good fruit can be produced from a bad tree. And then he gives us this principle, which is so important for us. Look at verse 34b. For, why? How is that impossible? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, it's so important for us to understand this. Horrifying and helpful. Again, illustrative language here. Out of the abundance of the heart. See, what Jesus does here is he, he gives us a look underneath the hood into mechanics of how our mouth and heart are connected. And he says, out of the abundance of the heart, also could be translated out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth spills out. Think about your heart and that illustration. Our hearts are all like reservoirs filled with passion, with conviction, with our wants, our desires, things we love, things we hate. And our heart is like the control center of our life. It motivates and drives everything that we say, think, or speak. It's a reservoir that builds up and builds up. And the times that you're tested, you become frustrated, exasperated, that's when it spills out in the words. And your mouth is like the overflow valve. It finds its way out. It reminds me of a time at the restaurant when the, the waiter spilled a full cup of water on my dad's back. A full cup of water. Like no drop on the floor. It all just went down like a waterfall onto my dad's back. And, and of course, we had a good laugh because, well, it was just water. And it was funny. I just got to thinking, like, that's what we do every day on people. That's what we do every day. We spill our heart all over people's laps. And let me tell you something. Like we read in James 3, it's not pure liquid like water. Our words stain. They can hurt. And they can stick with that person, that child, your spouse, your friend. For a long, long time. They don't go away. And so think about the mouth as the overflow valve. Our heart builds up and spills out. And Jesus uses another illustration here to explain this. Look at verse 35. He says, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. That word for treasure is thesaurus. Thesaurus, a treasury of words. Think about a storehouse. The idea is that what comes out of a storehouse is what's inside of it, right? Self-evident, clear. 
And the, the concept is that a person can only bring forth what he already has. So this is how the heart and the mouth work. The heart's the root, the mouth is the fruit. The heart's a reservoir, the mouth is the overflow. The heart is a storehouse, the mouth is the distribution center. So many implications to this. So many implications of this. I have a few for you. What are some implications of this truth? Number one, no word comes out of your mouth that wasn't already in your heart. You ever said, oh, I didn't mean that. Or, I don't know where that came from. It must have been the stress talking. No, 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 no. You did mean it. No, 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 we do know where it came from. It wasn't the stress talking, it was your heart talking. It was in there. And, and the words accomplished their purpose. They relieved the tension that was building up in your heart. Whatever you said did what you intended it to do. No word comes out of your mouth that wasn't already in your heart. The second implication is that your words expose your heart. Expose your heart. Like I said, talk long enough, get asked the right questions, and if they listen closely, they will know who, what, and why. They will know who you are, what you want, and why you want it. Words provide objective measurements for your heart. Practice this with your kids, parents. Practice this with your kids. Don't just correct bad behavior. Stop doing that. Don't say that. Ask them questions. Why did you do that? Talk to me. What did you feel when you did that to your brother or when you said that to your mom? Ask them enough questions. Pull and pull out of their heart and you'll understand it. And then there is the real problem. The behavior is a symptom of a root issue. And so when we parent... We don't want to just behavior modify. We want to understand and speak God's truth to the heart. So the words expose the heart. Understand that. The third implication is that you have sin in your heart because you have sinned with your mouth. You are not inherently good. Your mouth betrays you. It exposes that we have great evil in our hearts. Evil that must be dealt with, forgiven, washed out, and cleansed. If you're having trouble recognizing this, that you're corrupt to the very core, then all you need is a stenographer. You know what a stenographer is? A person in the courtroom who's recording every word spoken. You need that person, a stenographer, to follow you around everywhere you go and record every word that you say. And then have them read back the transcript. It will horrify you. I mean, let's pull up last week's transcript in your mind, if you could. Think about the words that you spoke last week. Were there any unwholesome words? Any inappropriate words? Any curses muttered underneath your breath? Were there any complaining or whining words? Were there any spiteful or angry words? Maybe in a passive-aggressive comment or in a just straight tongue-lashing. Were there any critical or sarcastic words? And those words intend to tear down others, not build them up. Were there any boastful or arrogant words? Any conversations that you turn to talk about 
yourself? Were there any gossiping or slandering words? Any deceptive or manipulating words? Any anxious or despairing words? Can you get through the transcript without any red marks? Any failures with your mouth? None of us can. None of us can. James 3.2, we read it. Aaron read it this morning. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. And James doesn't write that to give us a goal to achieve. He shows us the bar that can't be reached. He says later, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of poison. See, we can all say with the prophet Isaiah, we are men and women of unclean lips. We are. We've sinned with our mouths. All of us here. And so think about the principle, what does that say about your heart? If your mouth is full of poison and evil, then what's in your heart? We're all sinners, corrupt to the very core. And our mouths reveal that. Our mouths betray us and expose. Can't have a good guy, good gal persona with a mouth. Because <laughs> it will reveal who you really are. Point number four, the fourth implication is that, and this it should be obvious, we've mentioned it already, your heart must change in order for your words to change. Your heart must change for your words to change. In order for good fruit to grow, in order for pure water to flow out, in order for good treasure to be brought forth, then your heart needs to be transformed. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be made good. And the only way that can happen is through faith in Jesus Christ. And God causing you to be born again. Renewing your heart. So Jesus exposes in the Pharisees' case the fact that their words against God the Spirit reveals where they really stand. They stand opposed to God the Spirit. And they are at a point beyond repair. Which takes us to the third point, the third aspect of this passage, is the mouth and judgment. The mouth and judgment. You remember what I said about the stenographer following you around everywhere you go, recording every word? You have one. It's not a court reporter. It's the judge. Every word you have ever said. Listen to this text with soberness. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Did that hit you? Oh man, hit me hard. Every careless word, give an account. Jesus has already brought up this concept of the day of judgment. Every man, every woman will be presented before the king of kings and they will give an account. And to give an account is the joining of two Greek words that translate payback and say or speak. Think about that. Payback and speak. I think the idea is like having the charge read out loud to you and you having to stand and repeat, I plead guilty or I am guilty to the charge. That's the idea of what's communicated here. And this idea is communicated throughout Scripture. Ecclesiastes 12 
Solomon says, God will bring every deed into judgment. Every secret thing, whether good or evil. We know that unbelievers will stand before God and give an account. 1 Peter 4.5 says, They will give an account to Him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. But did you know that also believers will give an account? Christians will. Romans 14.12 Paul referring to himself and others, he says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now although believers pay no punishment for sin, Christ paid it all on their behalf. They will still give an account in the heavenly courtroom for every sinful word. But no, Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus goes beyond the blasphemies, the curses, the sinful words. Did you notice what he said? He says people will give an account for what? Every careless word. Careless words. Also translated idle or lazy words, or useless words. Man, think about that. How many words did you waste this last week? How much mindless talking, filibustering, (laughs) wasted words, thoughtless words, talking just to hear your own voice. Think about all the, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around. Because you want to kind of retract what you said. Jesus includes those words on his list for which you will give an account. Man. Were they careless, wasted, pointless, or were they meaningful, helpful, Christ-exalting, others encouraging? You will give an account for every careless word. And then he makes this statement. He says in verse 37, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh Uh-oh. Did anybody read that or hear that and think, "Uh uh-oh. Wait a minute. So is Jesus sola fide? Does Jesus believe that we're justified by faith alone or by our words? Seems to contradict. Maybe Jesus needs to read more Paul. Or vice versa. Maybe Paul needs to read more Jesus. No, no, listen very carefully. What Jesus says here does not contradict sola fide. In fact, it complements and it clarifies it perfectly. The Lord knows what he's doing. He's exposing hypocrisy here. This is really the capstone to Jesus' big point in this passage. Think about it. The root and the fruit are what? Connected. The heart and the mouth are what? Connected. The inner and the outer life, they correspond. They match. So, the judge of heaven and earth, the justifier himself, can discern whether or not you're righteous by your words. He looks at the tree and the root. The fruit and the root. And they should match. So a heart that's justified will reveal words that are justified. Justified means to be made righteous. So righteous heart produces righteous words. You can discern the quality 
of the root through the fruit. You can discern what's in the heart through the words. Your words are not grounds for your justification, but they are clear and unmistakable evidence of it. Because they're connected. He can judge your heart by your words. We could understand this to say, for by your words, you are shown or proven to be righteous. So Jesus doesn't contradict sola fide here, but he does contradict the hypocrisy of the Pharisees because they claim to be right with God. They claim to be in kudos with him, have right relationship. And Jesus says you can't claim to know God and at the same time bear this horrible fruit of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Your words betray you and reveal your evil heart and you will be condemned by them. Again, good fruit is evidence of good root. Bad fruit is evidence of bad root. You're not saved by good words, but being saved, you will produce good words. You're saved, think about it this way, unto good words. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. See, these, these two concepts complement each other perfectly. Jesus, or Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works or words. So that no one can boast. And then in verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works. For good words that you will produce, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so on judgment day, Jesus says, The Lord of heaven and earth will have the record of your words and deeds. He knows your heart. He sees the fruit. And he will determine his judgment justified, right with God, or condemned. That is, not right with God, punished to hell. So consider your life, examine your faith. 2 Corinthians 7 says, is there good fruit? Do you have words that affirm the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does your behavior manifest the righteousness that God has wrought in your heart? Are there patterns of growth? Is there clear evidence or not? Evaluate. Examine. And so you think, Pastor, what, what then do I do with my mouth? Point me in the right direction here. Help me to know what to do, how to apply this truth to my life. Well, you need to remember that in order to affect the mouth, what needs to change? The heart. The heart. So four points of application that actually deal with the heart. Because we know that the heart and the mouth are connected. And if we deal with the heart, then the mouth will change. Right? So four points of application. First is to repent from the heart. Jesus is exposing, exposing the blatant sin in the Pharisees, their mouth, their heart. And he's talked about judgment, so it should cause us to pause and consider seriously our words. To consider seriously whether or not we know Christ for taking our words seriously. And we know that we're all sinners, and so we know that we need to repent from the heart. Joel 2.12 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Bring me your heart. Rend your heart and not your garments. 
Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Repent from the heart. It's not just a change of behavior. Not just, I'm going to stop saying that and start saying this. You need to repent from the heart. Acknowledge your sin before God. Confess it to Him in prayer. Turn from sin to Jesus. Trust in His atoning sacrifice that paid for every sin and careless word that you spoke. Believe in His victorious resurrection that grants you new life in Him. Find forgiveness in Christ. Washing, cleansing, a renewed hope in Him. This is necessary for unbelievers. If you're honest with yourself and you've determined, I don't have the good root, good root because there's no good fruit, this is what you must do. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He is your only hope. He offers the cleansing, the heart transformation and renewal that you need today. Flee now to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Run to Him in repentance and faith. But this truth, repenting from the heart, this is also necessary for believers. We need to do this ongoing, Christian. Ongoing pruning and purging in our sanctification. Working on our heart. Putting off and putting on. You know that whole put off, put on in Colossians 3? It's talking about heart attitudes that need to be worked on in here. Read that passage this week, Colossians 3. And work on putting off and putting on attitudes of the heart, repenting from the heart. And as you continue to live and you grow in Christ, your words will reveal more sin that needs to be dealt with. It's true. The more light of Christ in your life, the more you see the darkness exposed. And just as we continue to live this life here in the flesh, on this side of heaven, on this side of glorification, this is the ongoing process of sanctification. Striving for holiness. God working in and through us and us working on our hearts. Stay close to Christ, to the hill with a cross on top and an empty tomb below. Keep repenting of sin and running back to Him. Repent from the heart. The second application is to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23, this is a life verse. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What a great verse. Guard your heart. Because from your heart flow all the springs of life. All the valves come from your heart. Your mouth, your behavior, your thoughts. And so you need to guard your heart. Guard your heart against sin. G-I-G-O. It's true. Garbage in, garbage out. If you're filling your mind with garbage, then you can expect garbage to come out of your mouth. Guard your heart from temptations to sin. The fool's words are contagious. They are. If you're constantly putting yourself in an environment where you're consuming media with awful language or words that are inappropriate, or you may not think it's inappropriate, but they're just constantly complaining, you could probably expect that to influence your heart and for complaints to come out. Maybe... Friend groups or groups at work need to change in order for you to not have garbage in because if garbage is coming in, then garbage will come out. 
Although your environment doesn't produce the words that you say, they're not responsible for your bad words. The environment does influence your heart, which influences your words. And so, guard your heart. Guard your heart. The third point of application is to feed your heart. Put off, put on. Guarding your heart from temptation and sin and then feeding your heart. See, it's not G-I-G-O, but it's Tito. T-I-T-O. Truth in, truth out. It is true. Psalm 1, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who does not X, Y, Z, but blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Listen to the language here. In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season. Wow, what a great application of the concept that Jesus talked about. The reverse. Filling your heart, dwelling on God's law, dwelling on the truth, will produce good fruit in your life. There's a direct correlation. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then look at the fruit of it, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with not complaints, but thankfulness in your hearts to God. Look at what dwelling on God's word will produce in your language, in your words. So feed your heart, truth in, truth out. And fourthly, let the Spirit lead your heart. Man, so thankful for Aaron, one of our elders, his prayer this morning, talking about, you know, just confessing his own personal sins with his mouth, but acknowledging that the Spirit needs to work in his heart to produce good fruit. And that is true. The book of Ephesians talks about not gratifying the desires of the flesh. How do you do that? By walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. The Spirit is the great helper that Jesus promised. The helper that can help us with our words, that works from the inside out. It's one of the blessings of the new covenant is that we have God's Spirit indwelling us. So he's our greatest help in this area. Living your life, not according to the flesh, not in your own effort, but consciously relying and depending on the strength of the Spirit every day. Every day. What does that look like? What, is it, what does it look like to depend on the Spirit? Well, one way you can do that is to depend on God through prayer. Spirit works in our prayers. Why don't you pray this simple prayer every morning? God, I ask that the Spirit would talk today and not me. Help me to shut my mouth and open yours. I, I just help me to guard against the temptation of the flesh. Help me to not react, respond in the moment, but to pause and remember that I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit and I ask that the Spirit would speak through me. I want to take a back seat, right, with my desires, my passions, and I want to give the driver's seat to the Holy Spirit. And so that when my coworker makes a passive-aggressive comment again, when my spouse continues to nag me, when I come home and the children have wreaked havoc in the house, and I want to retaliate, guard my heart. Help me by your Spirit 
to say, to have the right attitude first, humility. To say the right words, truth and love. And to have the right tone. A tone of gentleness mostly. Sometimes to be stern, as Jesus was sometimes stern. But give me the right attitude, the right words, and the right tone. Conform me to the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer because it's aligned with his will. His will is not that you'd give in to your passions, but that you'd be sanctified. And the Spirit is the primary agent of sanctification in your life. And so let the Spirit lead your heart. And if you do these four things, watch how your words will change. They do. They do. God has given us his word. To sanctify us, conform us into the image of Christ in doing these things conforms and shapes our words because our heart is changed. Just as a final word, as I can give you just a final encouragement today, I remember the first time that I cussed in front of my mom. I know. I said a bad word. I don't remember what I said, and that's good. But I do remember the consequence. She washed my mouth out with Soap. I remember. It was a good lesson. I think it was an appropriate consequence. And I don't resent my mom for doing that. I don't. But I do have an issue with it. Here's my issue. That she didn't clean deep enough. She didn't and can't touch my heart, right? You know who can? Only one. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ needs to wash you from the inside out. And you can't go wrong today praying the prayer of David in Psalm 51. If you go away praying this prayer, watch your words change. Pray this prayer in sincerity. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And when God answers that prayer in your heart, Watch the words come out. Be pure, clean, righteous. He'll answer that prayer. Pray that prayer in faith, believing in his power working in your life. And watch your words change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we move to a time, a great an important time for us as we take communion to remember the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, and that atoning sacrifice cleanses us. That atoning sacrifice pays for our sin, and it accredits to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And taking communion, Lord, just this symbol, this means of reminder every first Sunday of the month, it creates an opportunity for us to confess sin, for us to remember the gospel and confess sin in our life, for us to deal with sin, to have a tangible symbol in our minds of where we take our sin. We take it to the cross of Jesus, finding forgiveness there, finding washing there, finding cleansing there. God, I pray that we would just, uh, in response to this very important passage, this important teaching, this principle by Jesus that we would repent 
and that we would run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And that as a result of that washing, that cleansing, you would produce in us good words. Lord, I think one of the best things we could do now is just to confess to you the sins that we've committed against you and remember the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.